Well, there we go. We'll just kick off another week here at the Old Radio Ranch. Roger Sales, your orchestrator, uh, moderator. I don't even have to answer phones anymore, though, do I? Because you can just click right in. Anyway, the guy with many hats wears this forum's moderator, I guess, labeled. And uh, I'm here to moderate truth and to see if I can help you get free. And we do it on a weekday basis in these hours at the People's Patriot Network. And whether you, wherever you are, listening live or listening later, we're certainly glad you're along. It's the 27th of July, 2027, 2020. Ooh, ooh, don't know. Could be. I think it's an ominous start to what's going to be a hell of a week. I can tell you that. It's been a heck of a weekend, and if the weekend is indicative of what's coming over the next five business busy days, uh, Mr. Cody, I think, is with us. Mr. Chris is with us. A lot to talk about. Uh, I was just thinking, boy, is there, is there, and with all this confusion happening in so many areas, if there is a better place to be, and it's funny, you know how songs just pop in your mind? I don't know if that happens to you guys, but it's been doing that to me all my life. And uh, the subconscious is very powerful. It gives you some of those things sometimes. So just think, where would you rather be? This is a place to be. All right. Well, that was what popped in my mind. Living is a life for me. <laughs> I don't know about you. It'd be damn nice to see some. I, I got plenty of green acres, but I don't think they had the the things that surrounded it too much. Now, Cody, where Cody lives, he's probably got still some some green acreage uh, in his uh, rural setting. Oh, a lot of a lot of green acres around here. <laughs> well, welcome you. USA. There you go. Uh boy, it'd be nice to get back to some of those basic values, wouldn't it? We've we've gone very far afield publicly, unfortunately. Well, you, and yeah. the more I see, and the more that becomes exposed, I see a cli- a clear line of demarcation that's drawn between nationalism and globalism. And somebody up there with the power to really throw a hitch in their giddy up. And it doesn't matter what you think of President Trump. He has thrown a gigantic hitch in their giddy up. And if you don't think so, just the lesson with these guys that I've learned over all these years of studying them, I know them pretty good, is what you always watch is how they react. Booyah. Okay. Now, here's a little, I don't even, this has popped right up on Zero Hedge right before the show. Don't know if you've even seen it yet. Uh, there's a, I haven't even bothered to open it because this particular Jew bastard makes me want to throw up. Uh, uh, Jerry Nadler calls Antifa violence a quote unquote myth <laughs> in a public interview. I mean, these people, uh, let me tell you what, when they're getting out and lying that blatantly and doing all the other stuff that's going on, they're concerned. 
okay? These are extreme public positions for them to take, and virtually every time they've ever done this kind of crap in the past, it's backfired on them, and it's going to do it again, okay? So, but sitting back and going through the unfolding drama and the anxiety and the tension and having to watch some of this stuff happen to our once beloved, peaceful, united country is just, uh, well, it... it uh, We've never, Roger. We've never been peaceful. I think they said we, there's only been forty years in our history that, well, without a war. You know, no, you, Maybe you, it was less than that. Well, remember my frame. My frame of reference here, and many in the audience was the. I was born in the late fifties and went through the. I mean, the late forties and went through the fifties, which was the uh, uh, when it started letting the people uh, take advantage. of and put them into complacency, changing the economy from a war economy over to a consumer-oriented economy where dad could work, had the house, two or three kids, mom stayed home, had all the new appliances, all that. And that was a conditioning period, you know. That's a that's let them look off somewhere else for a while while we're doing. And what did they do during that period of time? They passed Brown versus Board of Education. They slammed the 1954 Revenue Code into position, and then set up for the Tavistock Institute their their police action wars. Korea being the one in that period of time and setting it up so that they could send the Tavistock Institute in and start throwing all these social engineering waves through the fucking, uh, excuse me, excuse me, through the, through the young folks at that period of time. The gullible young folks, of which I was one, okay? I mean, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I I was against Vietnam. That was my real primary thing. I just didn't didn't see that. It wasn't justified, and I wasn't going, all right? Uh, But anyway, yes. Hey, talking about the F word, did you guys uh, see the uh, speech by the NFAC that the No Effing Around Coalition there in Louisville. I thought I was pretty impressed by the old black man's uh, speech there. I didn't. the uh, public officials on notice. I didn't get to hear that, but that, that whole bunch is a bunch of actors from Atlanta. Yeah, one of them shot himself with a lever-action rifle and injured three people. Yeah, there you go. That's how proficient they were at their training. Uh, so anyway, all, all that stuff going on, I, I wanted to get, uh, mention a couple of things. Uh, uh, who is in? Who is in that joined us here? And I want to make sure I didn't ignore you. Hello, in. In does not want to participate. That's fine, in. You don't have to. Uh, couple of things because uh, it's a long weekend, you know, sitting around here isolated and uh, you watch a lot of videos and try and distract yourself. I get into a learning m- mode trying to go back and learn stuff on some of these longer ones that you wouldn't ordinarily get the chance to watch. Well, I watched one Friday night that was incredible. I, I sent it out. Cody, I'm sure you saw it, um, which was about a, almost a two-hour deal on the original founder and founding of China and the history of it. And boy, was it fascinating, okay? And that guy was named, well, I won't go over his name, but his, his county, his country, and it was the area that we know as greater China was composed of about 
eight different feudal lords, if you will. They had basically the feudal system over there, too. And he came out. He was a, a young man. He got po appointed king there of his feud at, when he was young. And uh, his life was just incredible intrigue. This was the guy, if you've seen over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so when they discovered it, he's the one that had the 10,000 terracotta army. Have you ever seen anything on that, Cody? Yeah, my mom went to China one time, brought back some pictures of it. Well, it was all about him and how he built that thing. He was also the guy that built the Great Wall of China, okay? And it went into how he was so successful, and one of the things they did was they had a highly developed skill of metallurgy, and they could make their swords 30% longer than anybody else could at the time. And so their soldiers had a one-third reach and advantage and all the other physics that go into swinging a sword that the other people didn't have. And they just cleaned them up, man. They had another weapon that was really unreal to me, which was since they were so good at metallurgy, they had a... I don't know how to describe it. It was kind of a flat axe and pick on one side and the other, and they would put it into a 10-foot bamboo pole at the top so they could get all the leverage of, the, uh, of that centrifugal force, and they could hurl those things a long way. And uh, this is back around the time of Christ now, okay? And uh, very, very interesting how his life proceeded and he, what they ended up doing. He conquered the whole country, ruled it throughout his lifetime. And um, uh, it, the, it, all they did was add an A to the back of that province. It was Chin and now it's China. And his language and all that stuff that he incorporated to that is the basis of China to this day. Okay. And that's why it's particular, particularly interesting. So how did all these lords, you know, lose out to the uh, to the revolution they had? There? He whipped their butts. He whipped their butts. He the first one that he took over. Here's here's how it happened, Cody. The first one. So how did Mao take over? I guess. Oh well, I, well, that's I don't know all the intricacies of that. I know some of the generalities. Maybe we could uh, actually study up and talk on that because I think it's very important. And I'll tell you what, you might as well know about the beginning of it because you're about you're about to see the dissolution of it in front of your eyes. That's what I would say, okay? But let's go back to this guy. Um, and uh, he was so freaked out about death. And he had a couple of really horrendous. His mother started cavorting with her aide that's supposed to be a eunuch that fathered two sons that she hid until they were like six, seven years old. How she did that's beyond me. But uh, she did, and then he finally found out about it. And so he had the eunuch drawn and quartered in front of her. And while she was watching that, he had the other two sons, his brothers, killed. And then let his mother live with that. Uh, so, But he was so freaked out about death that he got to be very paranoid because he had a number of assassination attempts on him. Okay, and Or at least things that happened that he perceived maybe as a... Uh, assassination attempt but then he got infatuated with death and longevity and it said the first thing that they advised him to do was have a bunch of concubines so he had like 200 concubines 
And uh, so then his this one of his uh, uh, one of his ministers comes and says, "We've got this secret to youth. It's it's this new stuff. It's called mercury." And they couldn't get it. He sent them out to get a copious amounts of it, and he started taking it on a daily basis for longevity. And so, obviously, he got worse. It destroyed his whole nervous system and all that. But in the interim, when he was fascinated with his longevity, he had started this terracotta army thing. The dimensions of this are staggering. Okay? Just what they've found. There's a whole field over out that emanates in this valley, flat valley, from a mound in the middle. Okay? You got to visualize this a little bit. And it was off from the mound where they found all the 10,000 terracotta army. Now, these figures are individual to make the facial fixtures and their body garments and their rolls and all that were individually made, and they're six feet high. And they found over 8,000 of them, and they hadn't even looked over that whole area. There's probably a lot more. Okay. And so in the middle, he had this pyramid built that was like four sections of a pyramid. And his grave was underneath that considerable amount. And what he had him do, boy, get this, this is freaky. He had him make out on the floor of his tomb. His tomb's in the middle of the floor, and the whole rest of the floor is a map of the territory that he oversaw, China. And where the rivers were, they put liquid mercury. That was the legend. Okay? And so as they've gone through and excavated this, and it was one of the guys, a professor from University of California, I think, working with a Chinese guy. And over the years, they can't dig into the tomb. He had at his burial, all everybody was at the burial inside the tomb, all the engineers, all the hierarchy, all that. And he had them close the doors and everybody died in there. So no word of any of the secrets of it ever leaked out. The only fable that was there was the rumored map with the mercury in it as, all, as water. As you know, lately there's a lot of water in China. <laughs> okay. And so this is really interesting. And so what these guys did was mercury has one really unusual characteristic besides it killing you and all the other stuff it does adheres to gold etc etc but it evaporates and so what they did was went up to the top of the mound it's totally covered in dirt this whole thing they've sonographed it out and they know exactly where everything is and they found everything just like it was supposed to be there including his tomb okay and they pointed out on these different uh, uh, sonar diagrams. But they went to the top of the mound and they dug little holes, pilot holes, all over the whole mound. And they went in and checked the dirt for mercury. And they got incredible amounts of mercury evaporation in the dirt, proving everything. And uh, amazing story. I was enthralled watching it. It was very well done. And uh, the information was just really interesting to me. So wanted to mention that. Uh, welcome, guys that just joined us. Anybody? I'm kind of running off at the mouth here. But that's a very interesting, interesting two hours I spent learning about this guy. Man, he was wacko doodle, okay? 
Uh, and if you want to see what happens to power and in his change of regimes and change of ministers, and one of the guys that he real trusted that came in when he was getting skitsy off on the mercury that took over power, burned all the history of the entire empire except for one set of books, and China's built on that. Okay. Fascinating insight in history. Um, well, you guys, uh, HB's joined us, and then somebody from Jitsi. Just Chris? No, I guess that's just Chris is back. Maybe he left. Did you get back with us, Chris, if you're there? Oh, I, I, I'm still here, but HB could be, well, I don't know if it's Harvey or somebody else. I don't know who HB is. I thought it was uh, uh, Harold, Harold Beal. Yeah, who is it? That's Brian. Hey, Brian. Now, I guess maybe when I set this up, I put in HB instead of BH. I have no well, idea. I'll, this time, the whole time, I thought it was Howard Beale. I figured you would come on and say, I'm tired of this crap, and I ain't going to take any more. <laughs> well, no, HB can be my new code name. Okay, buddy. Well, at least we know who you are now. Uh, the other thing I saw right before the show was uh, – Harvey, speaking of Harvey, Harvey's cousin, I've mentioned him on here a few times in the past, his name Chris. He's in Atlanta. He's a really good guy. One of the most interesting intellectual type people I've ever known. He had a, he had a TV in his apartment and it was stolen like 30 something years ago and he's never replaced it. <laughs> And all he does is read, and he's just a real fascinating guy. I'm on his mailing list, and I get stuff from him. And uh, he sends out this uh, guy that's got a channel on the on on YouTube, and his name I don't know what his name is, but his channel's called the History Guy. Have y'all stumbled on him? Guess not. He goes into a, a lot of really interesting. They're relatively short clips. 10, 15 minutes, maybe a little more, on very, very interesting subject. Well, this morning, and I've seen a number of them over the past, I watched one the other day on the um, the molasses, the Boston Molasses Massacre. I, I doubt if any of you ever heard of it. I never had, okay? But it was an incident on molasses before there's regulation up in Boston that killed a whole bunch of people. It was some huge storage tank that had been shoddily built, and the molasses got in the middle of winter. It was all right, but they had a thaw, one of those couple of days of real warm spells in the middle of a cold winter, and it blew the thing, and there's incredible amounts of molasses, and they went everywhere. I mean, feet deep in Boston of molasses syrup. So anyway, just stuff like that you've never heard of. Well, this morning... I'm looking at one pops up, and it's on a guy named so uh, Soapy Smith, I think was his name, a really bad individual, something like that. And I start watching it, and it's a guy from Georgia whose father was a judge or a lawyer or something before the Civil War. They lost everything, and he went moved the family to Texas, and this guy became a con man watching the shell game. Three, which one's the shell under? There are people that could scam you back then. And he picked up on the, on the master of the shell game in Texas when he was younger, 
and became a master of it and went on up to Denver and established himself as an absolute renegade and then did like a mafia deal, like a Jew deal today. He was running all the, the, uh, the, the gambling parlors and all the vice, and he'd associated himself with all the outlaws, but yet he had this respectable position. And he, he would bribe all the politicians and the judges. Uh, this guy's life, that the, he went over in 15 minutes, was unbelievable. When he got shot up in Skagway, Alaska, at the end of his life by this guy that he'd just swindled, Four days earlier, he had led the 4th of July parade in Skagway, and four days later, he's dead, and neither one of the ministers will leave, not only bury him, but they won't let him get buried in consecrated ground, and they buried him outside the seminary where his grave is today. Okay? You just put Soapy Smith in it. It's really interesting. They've got a uh, a, a bunch get together in Hollywood and have Soapy Smith Day every year. They've had movies made uh, about him and stuff, and I never heard of the guy. Uh, very interesting. Um, so you those know, two Roger, things that were on my mind. Yeah, Chris, you want to get back to something a little more salient? Well, um, it's kind of along the same lines as your Soapy Smith guy or whatever his name was. Uh, there's a situation over in Hawaii that I had some prior knowledge to uh, going back a couple of years ago with that uh, Chinese girl that, from Hawaii that I met down by the 333 courthouse. Uh, her name was Evelyn P. Tenorio. And at least that's what she told me. But more importantly, she had told me about a case over in Hawaii called Puana, P-U-A-N-A, maybe two N's, versus Kialoa. The Kialoa name was the names of the... Uh, Chief of the Honolulu Police Department, Louis Kealoa, and his wife, the Deputy District Attorney for Honolulu, Catherine Kealoa, and a bunch of their high-level special CERT teams uh, that were being used to terrorize, intimidate, and steal property and land and trust, estates, and everything else. But then there's this new guy called Michael Miskey, I think it is, Uh a young guy that has basically taken over the whole uh, crime operation there and had a, quite an affiliation with the Lewis and Catherine Kealoa uh, using their influence and stuff to protect his criminal operations, RICO schemes. And they just had a great big FBI raid uh, simultaneously at different locations around there and rounded up a whole bunch of these people. And apparently there's murders involved and um, very likely going to be a death penalty involved. So well, it's quite I- curious that... I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I haven't heard about that, but it doesn't surprise me. And as you say that, in my mind, I just overlay it over this thing on Soapy Smith I just saw, because that was back in the 1800s. Okay. Well, that's why I say. Yeah, (laughs) it's a perfect overlay, Chris. I'd like to know about uh, about this going to church or going to the casino out in Vegas that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Boy, if you don't know, Roberts is an absolutely bought and paid for piece of crap. You just look at that damn decision right there. Oh, and speaking of other decisions that the Supreme Court's done, a little uh, a little curious. They've got an Indian case in Oklahoma on the eastern uh, portion of the state on quite a few of the different tribes, the Cherokee, Chickasaw, um, I think Muscogees, and so on and so forth, claiming that their land rights 
place the certain elements of the lands there under Indian law, not uh, Oklahoma state law, except for well, maybe some federal well, that implications. W- so. That was the ruling, and I saw one of these. I'd seen the headline. That was a real big week that week, and I didn't concentrate on it. But I saw one of those videos with Viva, Viva Frey, and that uh, yeah, that lawyer that I, I've come Barnes. to respect. He's pretty sharp, that guy. Barnes and, Law? Yeah, pretty sharp. All right. So they covered that case. And do you know the background on that? It's almost sickening to have to look at the origin of this. Well, I don't know that I know. Well, yeah, there was a child sex abuse thing on the reservation. Yes. And apparently the state law had a uh, death penalty and federal law didn't have for the same crime. Well, it started and originated with a child molestation of a four-year-old. And uh, evidently the state of Oklahoma wanting to keep their jurisdictional, you know how these people are with power, their jurisdictional authority, and that went to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court decided was basically the government of Oklahoma does not have jurisdiction over the eastern area of the state, about half, actually, if I remember right, and that any crimes that are perpetrated are either uh, taken care of in the tribal courts or if it's federal, federal has jurisdiction still. But the state of Oklahoma does not. That's kind of the same basic argument I have about my land in Oklahoma being a land grant prior to the creation of the state by about seven years, uh, 1896 in particular. And uh, then Oklahoma didn't become a state till 1907. So these... uh, Broad claims of jurisdiction without any actual foundation or basis. You know, they think they claim they stole it fair and square, so therefore it must be theirs. They like to think, but it doesn't have any basis in law. Okay. Uh, in by the way, just for uh, let me know that they don't have a microphone. So great, thank you very much. And uh, I hope all our outlets are working. Um, uh, it's. Uh, unbelievable all the stuff that's involved with putting this on and it amazes me that we can do it on a regular basis to the degree that we can um i wanted to mention again what i mentioned last week some of you may start playing with if you want to those maybe who who, kind of like software oriented like to play with it this element software or platform that we mentioned last week it's it's called element it, i meant to mention when we talked about it by the way that it was originally <laughs> i love this chris it was originally called riot and they made <laughs> a decision to change the name <laughs> so it's gone from riot <laughs> to element and uh it, it's a uh, uh, it's really an open source piece of software that's pretty uh, sophisticated and it's it's stru- structured very much like Skype was, except that it's got some other uh, abilities that are kind of neat. And just starting to play with it. There's several of us on it. Paul's playing with it, and uh, 
I, I just feel like at some point in the future we can incorporate it into what we do as we grow and change and whatever our destiny is here. We've got some things we're talking about, but we'll see. But that's a neat little platform. It's totally encrypted end-to-end. You can customize it for your own usage. You can go pull it off and put it on your ser- server and individualize it. You can do all kinds of little things with it like that. It's got a, a uh, one of the attributes of it that, and I haven't even been through them all, is a list of these things they call rooms. And you can join discussions on different specific topics. And I've looked through the list twice down to where there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And one of them, I noticed, is on Jitsi. So uh, there may be some things we can do with Jitsi that we don't know about. I think I'm going to join that one and uh, uh, see what they're about. But there's all kinds of stuff. Some of them are very perverse, you know. I mean, like gay boys, you know, that kind of stuff. But mostly it's not. It's technical stuff on different specific pieces of software and forums and specialities and stuff. But Element, you can go to element.io, I believe is the address if you want to look at it. Uh, Neat little program. Um, So what else can we talk about here? It's on y'all's mind. You've been hearing what's on mine for a few minutes. Well, the federal interventions into some of the uh, ter- the uh, revolutionary terrorism trade zones of Portland and Seattle and New York and L.A. and Oakland and so on and so forth uh, are probably worthy of talking about a little bit. And the uh, protection of federal properties, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, specifically enumerated purposes of government that the federal influence in those areas like post offices and munitions plants and military bases and stuff is purely federal unless they cede the jurisdictional contemplations under what's termed concurrent federal state jurisdictional felony criminal aspects exclusively. Let's cover this phrase. It's popped into my mind several times. Forts, arsenals, and needful buildings. Forts, arsenals, and needful buildings. That's the way it puts it in the Georgia State Constitution. And I'm sure it's probably mimicked pretty much in all of yours. Whether you know it or not, every time you walk into a post office, you're in Washington, D.C. When you go out and pick up your... Cody, when you go out and pick up your mail at the mailbox... When you reach your hand in that mailbox, you're in Washington, D.C. Anytime there's there's any kind of military base or any other kind of federal facility, now with most of their agencies, they go in and rent in wherever they are for their offices. So they don't generally, in many instances, own buildings, but yet where they do have a federal building, such as the Murrah building, such as it was in Oklahoma City, there were all kinds of other agencies housed in there. Um, But those, anytime you set foot on that property, you're in Washington, D.C., pal. And if you come and burn stuff on there, Trump's got every authority under the sun to go in there and protect that territory. And he may have the authority to shoot your ass if you keep throwing stuff and threatening their lives. In fact, on a, one I watched with Dangan on the, uh, Fox Business Channel this morning, they had the assistant director of the 
oh, let's see, uh, I think he was Department of Homeland Security acting director, and they said under Title 40, and I'm looking for the number to give it to you, don't. 13, 15, or something like that. You don't have to do that. They actually have a duty. They have a duty yes. to protect those federal properties. Correct. And oh. they federal protection services. I know one other thing I want to say that I thought was pretty interesting that went relatively unnoticed last week. Uh, you know, we got two new members to the Federal Reserve Board approved. Did not know that. One of them's a female, I believe, if memory recalls her name, Shelton. Something like that. And she is an absolute adversary of the central bank and a 100% public gold bug. And the gold other one, bug, absolutely. And the other one has gold, strong gold leanings. Um, there was something That's else. Somebody sent me a little clip of a uh, an ex IRS commissioner being interviewed in front of some kind of a congressional committee. I could probably go back and find it. Short clip, but he was questioning the guy. And the one thing that came out of it at the end that was really interesting to me, which buttresses everything we know, is that the uh, head of treasury whoever's the, the secretary of the treasury has total authority over who's the commissioner of IRS. All of the positions and everything are totally under treasury. And of course that's important because as it says in the United States code section that deals with treasury, I think it's what that 27 or 18, which one is it, Chris, you know, all that stuff, uh, whichever one deals with treasury, it makes a specific statement in there. The secretary of treasury is the governor of the fund. Okay. If you go back to black's law dictionary and look under the bank holiday of 1933, it says when the banks closed for three days and opened up, uh, with new regulations administered by the secretary of the treasury. See, they put that in there. He's the governor of the international monetary fund because the country was put into bankruptcy and he oversees the financial collections. They had to also at about the same time, and I do not know which treaty it's in. They did not do it with legislation. They did it buried in a treaty somewhere because now they got control of the Senate and can get it through pretty easily that the Department of Justice is also under the authority of the International Monetary Fund. And that's why you've been seeing so much crap out of the FBI and DOJ. And even though Trump's guy's in there dragging his feet on stuff, they just got some stuff released the other day, by the way, that was very interesting. It was on how they tried to set up Trump after he was inaugurated by sending Strzok and his some other unidentified FBI agent in to sit in on their briefings and stuff okay and it came out the other day who the other guy was and it's a guy we had never heard bef from before he's they've covered him up to this point and his name got out Friday I didn't pay it's like Pincus or something like that obviously a Jewish guy he's your deep he's your deep control inside the FBI okay so uh, little things keep coming out and coming out, and that's the reason all that's happened is because the Department of Justice is under the International Monetary Fund in the bankruptcy in 1933. Now think about it. First of all, you got their blueprint. 
I gave you their blueprints, the first documentation I ever found on this stuff, the first time I went to a library in Cobb County, Georgia. It's Woodrow Wilson's letter repudiating dollar diplomacy. You can go look up it on the web now. You don't have to go to the library. You just put in Wilson's repudiation of dollar diplomacy. It'll come up. The blueprints right in that document because they were trying to do the same damn thing to China back then. And what does it say? Wilson repudiated the banker's request, their cookie-cutter request. They wanted to loan China $100 million to build railroads, about like Soapy Smith did with stuff out there in Denver, knowing that it was going to go to that corrupt bunch over there and that they were going to have to come back in. And in it, it said, well, one of the reasons that Wilson repudiated the Africa, obviously it was early in his term, by the way, let me add that, okay? Uh, they hadn't got full control of him or else he wouldn't have repudiated it, all right? But it said well, part of the reasons is because the results of this could go to the very heart of China's political system, and it involves taxes that are antiquated and burdensome. But those are two great adjectives right there for this antiquated and burdensome and then the third prong was administered by foreign agents. There's the blueprint. Go read it for yourself. Okay? They, if you're going to go in and administer a burdensome and antiquated tax system and put the screws to people, you're going to need the police power. Where's that come from? The Department of Just Us. That comes from, I care not who makes the laws if you give me control of the currency. Well, it's also very interesting. I know in uh, those some of those old English jurists that I was exposed to as a student of John and Glenn, uh, two pretty renowned guys, I've heard Brent mention them before, Pollock and Maitland highly respected English jurists, okay? And in one of their books, they quoted something from the Japanese law. And it said, the people must abide by, but not be apprised of the law. Let me repeat that. The people must abide by, but not be apprised of the law. That's in the Japanese law. Wasn't that Gaius? Wasn't that Gaius that nailed him up on a pole 50 feet high? It was was Caligula. Caligula, the infamous Roman emperor, would get the laws and tack them on a pole 10, 15 feet high where you could see them, but you couldn't read them. It's just like the Internal Revenue Code. You can see it right there in front of you, but I'll just challenge you to read it and regurgitate what it means in simple language. You know, I I haven't talked about this in a long time. Those of you who have been around computers for a while may remember 25 years ago in the early stages of computing before software had really developed well and become bundled and all that stuff. There was a program that was actually written on a federal grant. Huh. Does that send your antenna up? It was a federal grant that wrote it. It was called Grammatech. Did you ever hear of that, Chris? Any of you guys? Cody, you ever hear of Grammatech? 
Yeah, that's the one where it ranks what level of education in uh, documents written in. Well, it can, but that's not purportedly what it was written for. It was written for you to run stuff you write through, and it would improve your grammar. One of the facets of it was it could take written things, you could run through it, and it would give you the grade level. So somebody went in and ran, what's the three sections that the IRS always dings you on? 6001, 6011, and 6012, right? Somewhere in your IRS romance, if you're fighting them, those sections are going to come up, okay? And so they took those sections and ran them through Grammatech. Cody, you know what grade level they're written at? Oh, I'm a little distracted doing some stuff. You're, you're talking grade level on, on what document? They, they took this program that could analyze what level of grade language was written at. It's actually a, a okay. grammar checker. Yeah, I but heard it, that part. Okay. Well, they ran 6001, 6011, and 6012. Those are sections of the Internal Revenue Code oh, okay. that at some point, if you fight these bastards, you will become exposed to those sessions, sections, okay, because they always bring them up, all right? And so they ran those three sections through Grammatech's grade level. You know what grade level they were written at? Oh, probably PhD level. I don't know. 31 and 33. What is that? That's high. Grade level? For yeah, that's grade levels. Like That is PhD. All right. So, okay. and there's another, I wish I could had this quote and I hadn't messed up my, my folders and stuff so much, but there was a quote that John and Glenn found in their tax research. And it was a really, really substantial guy. He was considered the head of the Senate and the Ways and Means Committee, and he's highly respected, and a bunch of them wanted to run him for president. It was right around when Truman was there and died, okay? And uh, he, as head of Ways and Means, they deal with taxation, all right? And his quote, and I, man, it's one of those you wish you could memorize, and he goes, every year we get together with the folks from Treasury and talk about simplifying the tax code and we hammer out these things and we send them off and they come back with something that only King Solomon and all of his wise men could interpret <laughs> his language. <laughs> only King Solomon and all of his wise men could interpret what they bring back to us. antiquated and burdensome intentionally so anyway that's just well, a, i would also argue that it, it, it is a form of torture the, the way the system is set up as you, we've talked about in the past and uh well there's sure, a revolt against it that's why i urge well, everybody to go listen to the the gentleman talk i forget I, grandmaster jay uh you know he's bringing out a lot of good points you know they're they're hey. Revolt what against he should have said is we're using our right of, uh, you know, the right of, uh, of redress agreements, basically what he's doing with the threat of force. You know, he said, hey, let me tell you guys four weeks to find out what happened, why this lady was shot. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you how to revolt. To hold serious. it. Hold it, Cody. I'm going to tell you how to revolt against it. You want to revolt against it? File an affidavit. That's how you revolt against it.
There ain't no way there is, Cody, Cody, there is no way you can take any sensible argument and put it out in the public forum right now. I mean, we're we're lucky to have this little beachhead we've got here where we can come back to sanity on a regular daily basis and get people grounded because, man, it is nutty out there. Nobody's going to listen to we're about to go into a civil war. It doesn't matter if Trump wins or not. You think they're good. If he wins, you think they're going to do, okay, well, you won. See you later. Happy governance. And, and, and now this morning, uh, Lori lightweight up there. This is pretty interesting, Cody. It's up in your neck of the woods. Lori lightweight, is now lashing out at Trump because there's been a study that found that 60% of the guns confiscated in uh, Illinois are from out of state. (laughs) So she's blaming the feds on not having proper gun laws. And somebody said, well, if they're coming from out of state, how come they're not having problems where they're coming from? I heard there's 120,000 gang members in Chicago. Area? 120,000? Yikes. Thank you, Obama. Thank you, Rom Emanuel, who's strangely silent during all this, isn't he? For a little loudmouth Jew bastard like he is. Arrogant. Fuck, hubris. Almost dropped that word again. Hubris. Guy makes me sick. His father planned the bombing of the King David Hotel. Rahm Emanuel. Those are the people we're letting get into leadership in this country. Of a major city for eight years. Anybody want to step in? Give me a breather. No. You want me to vent some more? Uh, (laughs) I'm not convinced that Antifa and BLM is not part of Obama's private army. Uh, Actually, Barry Sotero trained in the international schools of uh, Zebanu Brzezinski uh, with his father. And, of course, uh, the there was another guy that was there that was, oh, Timothy Geithner, his father, is another one. And these people are all a bunch of revolutionary terrorists that are deep cover agents sit in to destroy this country. That's the reason you don't vet somebody that you know can't pass the vetting, and therefore you spend them over a million dollars to hide the history of his faked birth uh, in Kenya, which was probably Hawaii, with uh, Frank Marshall Davis and Stanley Ann Dunham. Yep, yep. And and her daddy was sent out there as an undercover agent to go spy on the communist activity that was happening in Hawaii at the time, and he Davis was out there organizing it. That's how they met, evidently. Uh, here's pretty interesting on the uh, on the financial front, as if you know, gold and silver both spiking. If you guys didn't know that, they've knocked it down this morning. I believe it hit an all time high this morning from 1945. Uh, unexpectedly ugly, record large 
two-year auction. These are these bonds that most people are the collateral for. Auction prices at all-time new low yield. All-time new low yield. Why is that important? Because in bonds, a very, the debt market, if you will, they've got a very unique attribute in that they have an inverse relationship, they call it. And the lower the yield goes, the higher the price goes. The price comes down, the yield goes up because these are long-term debt instruments, okay? So this is indicative of all-time new low yield that the prices are going up. And when we're going to start really hitting big problems is when that yield curve hits zero. And it ain't far off. I think it was 0.06 here uh, uh, just uh, last week. Well, it went down lower than that on the two-year, which means... The prices are going high. When everybody's holding these things and the prices are high, who's going to get out of the door first? And some kind of something happens and everybody rushes for the door at the same time. So anyway, that's where we are in the bond market. It's three to ten times bigger than the stock market, and it's what runs this whole this whole Gideo show here. And if you'll remember, James Carville, I heard him on a TV thing one night. James Carville, remember, he he's from New Orleans. Okay, he got that that accent. All right. And, and he's, when I die, I want to come back as the bond market. The bond market. That's what we're toying with, folks. About to get into a currency war. China and, and the U.S. about disconnect. They're talking about it in China, totally disconnecting from the dollar. And that would probably mean selling all their treasury bonds and dumping their bonds on the market Very precipitous time. My friend in Argentina uh, wrote me Friday. Remember, I used to do a talk occasionally about the exchange rate. We're, we were talking about it with Jesus and the money changers last week, the exchange rate. Uh, when I left Argentina, just about three years to the day from today, the 27th, I think I left on the 25th three years ago and got here. When I left, it was 16 to 1. Exchange rate of Argentine pesos to the dollar. And that was high. All right. Three years later, it's 134 to 1. From 16. How are people not revolting? How are they not having a revolution when everything? Because, going? well, one, I, I don't know all the reasons. Uh, I know the Argentine people have a saying in Spanish. I can't repeat it. My lawyer told it to me. He said, we have the whelps on our back, which refers to the fact that every 10 years for the last 100, they've either gone through a financial or a political revolution or both. Okay. Uh, I don't know, Cody, but I do know this. That's pretty startling, the difference between Ecuador and Argentina. In Argentina, on all of the public water, not, not, not public water, but private water, you know, bottled water, all the different brands and all that, there was only one brand that had not been purchased by either Coke or Nestle, and every one of them had fluoride in it. And in Ecuador, I hadn't found any fluoride in the water yet in any of them. Well, you know what Ecuador has going on is they convince the people that the sugar is so bad for you that they put art. Like, I can't even get a Sprite in Ecuador now without artificial sugar. Now, you can get Coke both ways, 
with natural sugar or, you know, well, I got, I got one but, question you know. for you. What are you doing drinking that poison in the first place? Well, it's the Coke that has the really heavy, um, acid, but I like Sprite. And no, 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 no. The white, the clear ones are worse than those because they have to send, send them through a chemical process to get them clear. I don't drink a whole lot of it. It's just the point that the sugar is definitely not as bad for you as the artificial, and you can't even get that in Ecuador. So it's almost well, brainwashing, similar to the fluoride. The best thing is not let any of that poison, their poison, cross your lips. It's like it's like the best form of birth control is an aspirin, you know. Yeah, put it between your legs. <laughs> between your knees. Ah, that's a question. Since women have a right to choose to kill their baby even after it's been born, are they going to give them the right just to kill anybody they want walking down the street at any time? Murder is murder. I mean, that's the next logical extension, isn't it? The other thing I wanted to talk about that's interesting, Chris, we mentioned it before. It seems to be coming more into play because they're using it more. They drug it out, uh, and they've whipped it on China, the Magnitsky Act. I'm surprised it hadn't been brought up again. That's their false long-arm statute. Yeah, I think it's actually the Magnitsky Act, but that's okay. Okay, Magnitsky, Magnitsky, whatever the hell. He's a, he was an accountant in Russia that was next to the CIA guy that was raping the uh, uh, it starts with a B Browder I think was raping Russia. They caught him. They ended up putting the accountant in jail, and it looks like they murdered him in jail. And then they're blaming it on on, on all this stuff. And then they to the point where they come over and and the 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 Edomite Jew Satanist Zionist lobby gets a long arm statute past basically on something that happened in russia that they set up boy don't tell me that you don't know how these bastards here work okay well now if you don't know what a long arm statute is a long arm statute is a a, a, a one that allows the court to reach outside its jurisdiction and find some other jurisdictional nexus, then there's a connection through incorporation or through personal jurisdiction, persona, etc., and reach out outside their jurisdiction and nab your butt and bring you into a proceeding. A perfect example is FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, which has global uh, implications over all the Federal Reserve-owned uh, countries and currencies. Not only that, they've put in controls on foreign-owned banks and corporations. And how did they do it? Uh, by the Majinsky Act, I suppose. No, by you being a citizen or a resident. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you uh, walk in fact, into I a foreign to... bank, I mean, I, I tried to do it in Uruguay. I was trying to set up an account in Uruguay. I took a trip over there, and I forgot to bring, I didn't know to bring, I should say, a copy of my rent lease. And so when I was trying to give them an address, I said, well, where's your documents? And I didn't have it, so they wouldn't open up the account. But I went over there after that was passed. All I said was, I'm a U.S. national. 
Okay. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal about when this was all they were really clamping down. This about 20 years ago, maybe slightly more. It was in the Wall Street Journal, and it was about them going over to Switzerland and grabbing all these people's bank accounts under this new law and stuff. They'd been avoiding taxes and whatnot. Okay. And they had a they had a clamp down, and even even women that were married to Swiss citizens that were citizens of the United States weren't allowed to open an account in their name. Okay, and so but in the article, it's talking about all this and some of the problems it caused some of the people. And then in the bottom, it says, "Well, if you're a U.S. national, though, there's certain exceptions we can let you in." <laughs> right in the article. You know, curiously, Roger, I had something bite me recently, and that was I had a pending law settlement based upon an accident back from 2018. And uh, they kept dodging it and claiming they had to check with the federal government and Social Security to make sure I hadn't had any uh, so-called benefits from Social Security, which I assured them beyond a shadow of a doubt I had not. But they wouldn't take my word. They had to wait for confirmation. And there's some unknown agency, CMS, that provides that uh, confirmation and account status and whether you have or have not used any so-called benefits from socialist slavery money. And, you know, your observation about it is very, very uh, salient and material to this conversation because only the U.S. citizens are the ones who have anything to do with this uh, so-called subjection to Caesar by the IRS agents, individuals representing Satan, and the uh, FinCEN group, which is a Sovietization of global financial interest. There are a bunch of scoundrels, but it's all based on fraud. There's a way out. File an affidavit. Learn the information first have command of the information you don't have to be uh you have it as much as i do it's just been you know when this bit me and crossed my path almost 30 years ago it's never let go it's only gotten more intense first time in my life i've ever had something that i didn't get tired of and discard and go on something else okay I mean, it's that much of a hold on you, but you don't have to learn it like I do. But it will help. The more you learn it and have command of it, the more free you are. It directly equates to your freedom. It's like garbage in, garbage out. Put good stuff in, and this will give you benefits down the line. Even if you don't file an affidavit, you'll get some sanity. Okay? Because there's not much sanities in short supply. Don't know if you've noticed. Tell me where there's sanity. Tell me where's sanity. Everywhere are freaks and harries, dykes and fairies. Tell me where is sanity. Wanted to bring something up about Portland over the weekend. Did you see the clip, Chris, where they had all the veterans out? Three lines of veterans in the front of the of the mob there. I'm a Navy vet. I'm a this, that. I would guarantee you there ain't one of them damn people ever served a day. They're all actors. I guarantee you. Uh, well, they call it uh, crowds on demand, crisis actors. Everything is an illusion. It's the wizard, man, including your slavery that's self-imposed because you've told them your whole life you were one of them. That's not my fault. A city denizen. 
it really it, it is to a large extent their fault you can totally dissolve the whole thing because it's all based on fraud but whose fault is it it's our fault for being so gullible and so deceived no they did a masterful job of hiding their tracks trying to go back and scour away all the knowledge that's been there for centuries like r plus d equals r that they don't teach in the law schools and evidently haven't hell in almost a hundred years That speech by Jerome Frank from the Department of Agriculture in 1933 at the American Association of Colleges and Law Schools annual convention that that year was moved to New Year's Eve in Chicago. Everybody wants to be in Chicago in January, don't you? Tells you that they had control of the law schools back then. Because they had control of the agenda of the American Association of Colleges and Law Schools. May I still remind the listening audience and anybody that tune in later that when you look up the American Bar Association, so-called, where it comes from, it was actually the Communist Bar Association from the Frankfurt Austrian Schools. And that they are actually a warring force, and you'll find that in Black's Law. You have to look the words up separately. Adjust and feciales. Feces is a lot like crap because it is a bunch of crap. Okay, well, I, uh, you'll find no disagreement here. Well, it's not all a bunch of crap. There's legitimate reasons for it. It's how they turn it into a bunch of crap that's the trick. Okay. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. I was hoping our folks from last week would call that called on Friday with Brent. It's a, a couple down in Florida. It's a friend of DJ's. She knows them somehow. Got them turned on to the information. I made sure they, they ordered the book. I guess they've read it. The wife's a homeopath type person, and the husband's a, another airline pilot. Uh, don't know for who or any of the particulars in there motivated to the point they wanted to file the affidavit and they were looking for some pointers on on the passport aspect of this and then they i told them to call and i neglected to say except for friday and uh, that of course is when they called so um i'm hoping they'll call maybe tomorrow if they don't call today uh, and if they do i'll try and get hold of dj and see if they're open to call tomorrow and if so we'll spend uh, most of the program if we can get them to call early and on that all those basics again and as so many of you have noted and i you cannot hear the basics of this stuff enough but and i'm going to tell you why i say that because i still am learning and realizing things from it all these years later and you just being introduced to it i know don't know all the nuances of that or how to apply them or how they can be advantageous for you that formula, R plus D equals R, having command of it and being able, if you want to get a, a, a diploma, let's say that your affidavit is your diploma, okay? That's showing that you got the education and proving it. Well, and more than, F, than diplomas do with some of these people. Uh, but if you learn that stuff, man, it's, it's so important because that's the empowerment vehicle. It's through internalizing that, untying all the knots in your subconscious, and then applying the new knowledge and the new reality consciousness to your life is where your empowerment comes from. 
And then as you go further, every step, everything that you expect to happen happens and you get further empowered and you get further motivated and further empowered. I've seen it happen with myself. I've seen it happen with people like Daryl. I've seen it with other people like uh, 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 Howard Beal, Brian Howard that just left us and been with us most of the show sitting back there, had that very same experience. And I know it's happened to a number of others. But the whole basis of that empowerment, that growth, that personal growth, your freedom, is the knowledge and command of that information, period. Hey, A's, A's joined us. A, maybe A doesn't have a microphone either. Hey, I had to, no, I had to get the mute off. <laughs> yeah. okay. I am. Who is it, Alan? Yeah, it's Alan. He's got a little. He got a little sketchy. Well, maybe the maybe the packet you just came on. It takes sometimes if you're in a, a relatively weak or something environment, the packets will straighten out and stream here in a minute. Maybe that'll happen with us. Glad you're with us, Alan. Um, let's see. I, I, there's Brian Howard's back with us. Brian, why don't you tell the audience from your own words if you're you're in a, a position to talk. Because you've been around about six years now, six, seven years, something like that. Why don't you tell them what this has done for you? You're already pretty brazen anyway. Roger, can you hear me? I hear you, Brian. Why don't you tell the folks, man? Uh, I'm sorry. What, I was just typing away. What do you want me to tell them? What this information's done for you, the empowerment process. Uh, well, that's a good question uh really simple it's speak right in the microphone brian let me give me a second let me put my uh give me one second okay well uh, while he's getting configured there and you know brian was one of the first real go-getters that for those of you who don't know if you haven't heard this before brian is pretty much fearless anyway and he was a four-year scholarship football player at the university of texas pretty prestigious program over there and and He's pretty well fearless, just one of those Texas guys. And all this did was empower him and give him a direction and some guidelines to go by. And you've pretty well picked up the spear and chunked it from then since. Uh, that's, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you much better. Thank you. That's a good, well, you summed it up in one word, really empowerment. Um, you know, when this whole thing started to happen, and a lot of some people have heard the story, others haven't. I got a, uh, I got a traffic ticket. Um, I got a traffic ticket, and I had not paid the fine, or actually, I was paying it, and then I noticed that the dates kept changing, and all these little loop just tricks, you know. And I, it was almost impossible to just make the payment on it. And uh, I wasn't going to pay it all at once. I was making just a little small payment. And I went in one day to the uh, what I thought was the DPS office to make a payment or to figure it out, I think. And I walked in, and that was when the light bulb came on. I looked down this long row of, of uh, short brown, brown brothers from our southern border that were all in a line. And they were all had their head down, and they were paying the man at the counter. And nobody was asking questions. And I just thought like, this is just a big scam. And then I started reading the ticket and, or the, the payment information. And it was this side corporation, basically, you know, like a white label or private label, what some people would call it for the state of Texas. And that was when the light bulb came on. I just 
it made me angry and I realized I was being taken advantage of. And I had not looked too much into, you know, into common law and, you know, fighting tickets and it really ever even going into court. I mean, I'd been a couple of times for maybe tickets or whatever. Well, so I started going to, uh, here in Austin, I, I started listening into a guy named Eddie Craig, um, that was on the AM radio show and talking about common law, specifically the right to travel and, you know, how to, how to defend yourself in a, in a court against these fraudulent, you know, fraudulent charges. That's basically just a big scam, a money, a revenue stream. Well, so I started going every week on day one Sundays and uh, into this cool little bookstore here in Austin, man, I wish they were still open. It was called brave new books. It was like, where all the weird people went to meet up and to listen to the, interesting stuff. The weird a lot people. Of the weird yeah, people. They, yeah, that was the <laughs> reputation. Well, because if you're into, if you're into uh, you know, figuring things out, conspiracies and questioning the authority, you're considered, you know, an oddball, whatever. Fine, I'm, I'll take that title any day. But uh, I started going there and just learning, man, there was all kinds of stuff on 9-11 and man, all of a sudden the floodgates just came open and I, you know, I had a couple of awakenings at about that time, one about 9-11. And when that, when that thing cracked open, it, it, it just, everything else, all of a sudden I started to see things that I before had not been seeing because I was trained and I was being programmed by the media and other things. Brian, so, let me ask you a question. Uh, You're right there from Texas. <clears throat> when were you uh, in school? What years? Uh, early 90s. It was 91 through 95. Okay. So when when Waco and Oklahoma City happened, did you, 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 did you take any cognizance of that all? Or do you, if you remember maybe how you viewed those incidents at that point? I, wait, I remember exactly where I was when the Waco – I mean, I'm sorry, when the uh, – well, when both of them happened, Waco, I didn't really, you know, I just thought it was just really a tragic thing, but I didn't know enough about it. Were you, when, uh, were you as spiritually grounded at that point in your life as you were when I met you? Hell no. No, I was a wild child. <laughs> You're just yeah, a was football just, player on campus, right? Yeah, I was just going to school and I was, you know, playing football and, uh, working through a scholarship to get a degree, but I didn't, you know, I was, I grew up in a spiritual family. I'll say that. that what position, what, you know, what positions you, you play? I played, uh, let's see my freshman year. I uh, started at wide receiver and then we had a coaching change. And then my sophomore year, beginning of two days, I twisted my knee. I didn't tear it, but I partially tweaked, like Tweaked yeah, it. I sprained it pretty good, so I was definitely going to be out for about six to eight weeks. So they just redshirted me, and we had a coaching change, and then I switched uh, from offense to defense my third year, which would have been my true sophomore year. And then I uh, started at free safety my sophomore year, huh. and and then I went back and forth from free safety to strong safety and some nickel back linebacker stuff like that cool. and special teams, you know, all the, everybody played special teams, but, yep. uh, but anyway, so, uh, uh, let's see, where was I there? Um, I'm back at your unfolding there. I was, I, I sidelined yep. you with Waco and Oklahoma city, but, um, oh, yeah, yeah, you were talking finish. about nine 11 opened the floodgates, which it did for many people. 
It did. It did. I, I, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget it. It's, you know, probably one of the, probably one of the, the, I would say the defining moment in my life when I, when the light bulb came on, I had a neighbor across the street that was, you know, always talking about things that I just didn't, you know, I didn't, it didn't register with me. He was talking about nine, um, nine 11 and just other events and a lot of things. And he gave me a disc freedom to fascism with, uh, Aaron Russo. And I just, you know, thought about, it. I'd never wash it. It sat on my desk in a drawer for about one year. And then I started hearing more and more things and we became pretty good friends. We would hang out and uh, have a cold beer or something, talk about whatever. And one day I popped it in and I was sitting in my, uh, sitting in my office in my home office and I watched it and I literally just turned everything off and I bawled crying. I, I just, I, the light bulb came on. That was, that was when I realized I had been lied, you know, to, and things were not at all what I thought they were. You know, I remember, you know, bomb, making jokes, bombs over Baghdad and stuff like that. You know, and we went into Iraq. Bomb, bomb, but, bomb, uh, bomb, bomb. Yeah, yeah. It was terrible. I'm ashamed of my, yep. ashamed of that, but, but I didn't know, you know, I just thought, hey, we're America can do no wrong. Oh, we're just this great nation. Didn't never knew nothing about uh, the false state of Israel. None of that. And then when I watched that, all of a sudden I, I realized that uh, 9-11 was a total inside job. And then I started just, you know, digging in on YouTube and other stuff on the Internet. And all you know, it was just from that point on thing, everything changed. I can for remember the, when for the, the best. I remember when the Iran revolution happened in late 79, 80. I was still in the record business at the tail end of my career there. And um, I totally stopped listening to music radio and started listening to the news on the Iran situation over there. And I can remember saying to myself, what the hell's wrong with those people? Don't they know all the good we do around the world? Boy, now that yeah. right there is Boy. naivete. Mm-hmm. For sure. Hey, but you know, you didn't know, like I, I didn't know my dad's a two term, you know, Korean vet. I just, you know, always, thought that we were doing the right thing but you know when 9-11 cracked and i realized that then everything you know i just started to look at everything with a different lens on which you know obviously we do now but when i you mentioned something i remember i was in my dorm room uh when i was in college and it came over the evening news or the maybe the nightly news i think um of the oklahoma city bombing you know and that just that was a just a shock you know all of a sudden here in our own country you know, literally a, a large building in the heartland of the country yeah yeah that was a sh that was the first real what they would call the first you know domestic terrorism you know event and i just you know okay well gosh it was some radical dude didn't know at that time didn't know but then now years back i've gone through and watched you know there's a really good documentary on it uh gosh what's the name of it it just blew the thing wide open um i'd have to find it. there's a Anybody listening probably knows what it is. There's a main documentary on Oklahoma, on the Oklahoma City bombing oh, yeah. and the whole story behind yep. McVeigh and all. You know, they're basically just agents. And so anyways, uh, I guess going back to your question was, you know, how did this empower me when I was standing in line? They're dealing with a ticket. And then I said, to hell with this. I'm not going to pay it. You know, I'm going to fight it. So I. I basically uh, started teaching myself, trying to learn, you know, how to defend myself in court. And I, you know, would go every 
Sunday for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours and just listen and notes and started to learn and like, wow, I actually can go in and defend myself. And so lo and behold, I doctor up a ton of uh, documents, started learning how to write an affidavit and, you know, court, you know, entering uh, pleas and stuff. And process. Yeah, the process, the you know, court process. And I walked into a court room over here uh, close to my house. And uh, <laughs> that was my first experience and what a fraud it was. And here I was, um, they cleared out the entire room, right? I filed a bunch of motions to dismiss all this stuff, you know, basically accusing them of total fraud. And the guy didn't know, the judge, you know, was very, very nervous when he came out. He didn't know who the hell I was. Oh, before that, I was get they were gathering intel on me and looking at websites and LinkedIn and stuff. and. And I noticed that like there people from the court were looking, you know, trying to figure out who the hell was I. And so I walked in that day, put on a suit, walked in, sat down, didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was so nervous. Trial, back now, I, I, trial I, I by laugh. trial by fire. I just I laughed so hard. And I was so I was so nervous because I just didn't know what to expect. But now it just Boy, you know, it almost talk a, about a. Nervous to the what's the old saying? A whore in church with a customer waiting outside. <laughs> yeah, sweat sweating like a whore in the first pew. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Those of us who have done that, and everybody mistakenly uh, does it. It is it is a terrifying experience. You're out of your element. You don't know all the stuff they're going to throw at you. It's big. It's ominous. It's like the blob. Remember the first yep. science fiction movie, The Blob? Oh, yeah. And I cannot <laughs> urge you strongly enough. If you don't like to study and think about this stuff, I promise you it is better than going into one of those situations. And the line of demarcation is if you do all this right, you'll never have to go in front of one of those situations. That's a good point, Roger, because that's where this has led me. Uh you know, I'm not at this point in my life, I'm not, I don't fear that process in any way. I mean, it's, it's almost like a, a fly and I got a fly swatter because I've now gone through this a number of times where see, it I doesn't happen. The trick. It's like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. That's what I keep telling y'all. And the only way you're going to do it is you keep putting this information, this basic information in. And exactly. I, I was going to say a minute ago, I guess if I've had some people ask me what, when do I know I'm ready? Okay. How, when do you know you're ready to file an affidavit? I got a, I got an answer for that. I do too, but I'd like to hear yours. Yesterday. You were, you were ready yesterday. <laughs> there'll never be a day. There'll never be a day when you're ready. And all that is, is an excuse mentally. You were, well, you were ready yesterday and before you ever even came into the, it, the information, just a way to put it. But if, you know, if you're, like if you you're serious about what you're doing and continue your education, because you got exactly. to have the foundation. Okay. And, yep. uh, what I would say is, is came to me through Patrick and I, him and Ike out there. Why isn't this written down? I said, hell, I wrote a book, man. I get on here for two hours every day and explain it. I take anybody's question that wants to have their answer. I mean, I don't know. You know, I guess I could sit down and spend my life writing and stuff, the, what the free time I have. But 
Um, here's where you can tell if you can read the first clause of the 14th Amendment and point out every legal landmine in there and why it's a landmine, then I guess you're ready. Okay, we talked about it yeah. last week. All persons, or there's the first one. All right, all persons, what follows after persons, and that directly relates back to that R plus D equals R because it's telling you who the person is. Who are they? They're either born or naturalized and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So they've got to either be born or naturalized and subject. Those are the prongs. Now, for those of you who insist, I just thought of this. See, I'm telling you, it's a process. And before you do, you don't get the answers before you get the understanding. All right. You, you get the understanding from having the knowledge. And what's it say in the Bible? Above all, seek understanding. It doesn't say seek knowledge. It says seek understanding. Okay. So to all the people out there that insist on thinking that the birth certificate is the nexus to this thing, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're all persons born or naturalized, on the naturalized persons that attaches them to the system, do they then, then issue you a new birth certificate? If they do, it's probably the nexus to the system. They don't go back and take a naturalized 14th Amendment citizen and issue them a new birth certificate. They just lock them into the tax system on the back end. I would, I would add too, though. I mean, I, I know I, I agree with you. It's not the end all, but the birth certificate is. It plays a big part. It's the representation the, of it, but it's got an equivocation yep. there. I believe, Brian. I believe the yep. document does suffice as a document that gives all the statistics and verification of your birth. On the backside, what we don't see is they're using it in commerce as a warehouse receipt. It it fulfills two functions. Right. It actually, get, and just to add it, it remember, because there's a difference between the day that you were physically came out of the womb and the day that they register that, okay. that note, that bond. Very well could be on all that. But, you know, what I need to know is where's the nexus come from? It's a presumption of law that the system applies to you because of the bankruptcy. Yep. And so all you have to do is go in and rebut the presumption. You don't have to learn all that stuff. You don't have to go back and sever every contract you've ever entered into. Get the key information to the key knocker up there and let them decide some of this stuff. You learn how to stand your ground. I would I would agree with that, and that's what the affidavit does because, I, I mean, it's been proven now. I think a lot of people have done it. I know I have. So now now look the, at this. It's a public document in many instances. Brian, do you have yours registered in the county? Have you ever gone? Yes, to, it's, uh, it's not registered. It's recorded at recorded. the county tax assessor's office. Okay, registered uh, on the, on the I've got a, property rolls. A bunch of other, yes, on the property rolls in the tax assessor's okay. office. So it's public knowledge. It. So it's public knowledge. It, You've given public it notice. Is. It's never been rebutted. And a few has other it? notices as well. Never been even questioned, uh, no, has it? They, well, now when I went to record it, they tried. They were. They did not want to record it, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I was just not going to go anywhere. I went back a mul multiple times and tried a couple different ways. I actually even doubled. I did it twice just to make sure 
And another interesting thing is they would add all these little fees on to try to make it, you know, sure. if you added any new papers or whatever, but I mean, they're just, you know, nickel and diamond, but it is, it is recorded, not registered. And, and I've used that since then in another, you know, another traffic incident and along with another process and some things that I've learned and they, they shut the hell up and, I haven't heard anything from them. Well, the point I wanted to make is that these documents are on public file, public notice all over the country in different areas. So in technically what is happening is when you file that affidavit, you have in a sense offensively accused them of every crime in the book or just about, okay, except helping little old ladies walk across the street to church. And I don't think that's a crime anywhere, okay? But they, being it's based on fraud and they cannot respond, they've convicted themselves, haven't they? Absolutely. If they don't respond, and, and another you know, thing is I basically served them from the, uh, from the public notary and, and uh, found them in default, which is another process. And when they don't respond, they're required within their rules uh, to respond. They don't, they're never going to question it. They're never going to put their name on the line as you Roger know, with the process we went through in, in Idaho and requesting Ooh. a non-resident driver's license. They're never going to put their name on it because then they, he, they're personally liable. I'm going to tell you audience, and I've got those still in my folder somewhere in that final couple of letters. When Brian was toe-to-toe with the director of transportation for the state of Idaho, that guy would never sign anything. He had somebody sign it, and I don't think you could have interpreted that signature with the Rosetta Stone, okay? Nope. (laughs) That's pretty good, the Rosetta Stone. Yeah, he would never sign it. He had like a generic, almost like a robo sign thing that was messy, scribbly, couldn't you didn't know who it was. They tried every trick in the book. I mean, that whole thing was a it was, that a, was empowering. Boy, I'm that telling was, you, it was it was real revealing too. Uh it, Kay it was. Kay, our good listener who her and her husband are becoming empowered now, been around a long time, drifted away for a few years because of uh, responsibilities and obligations, come back with a vengeance. And uh she dug up uh, uh some guys out of Canada just a regular old kind of blue collar worker guy. Hey, Hey Roger. Yeah. I got a, I got to hop on a call here. In two okay. Minutes, thank I'll you, Brian. In. I'll be listening in. Okay, in brother. Right. Thank uh, you, man. Uh, We're uh, sure uh, glad to uh, have uh, your testimony there. Cause it comes you. from your personal experience. I've watched all that develop. Um, the, uh, these people, you probably know about this, Chris up in Canada, about five years ago, started fighting this on the smart meters and they were using some kind of a liability deal where they would, uh, uh, all of a sudden they had all these hierarchical people resigning overnight when they got hit with these documents and case sent it to me. I watched it. I'd seen it before, but I hadn't heard anything much about it in a few years. And she was asking me about it and I said, well, that's fine. And they got a bunch of officials and they're exposing the fraud and, you know, God bless them, but it didn't change their status. They're still slaves. Well, your point's well taken. I think what they gave them was a notice of liability. It's correct. Like a condition preceding uh, where you basically set forth the terms and conditions that if they insist on putting it on there, they must also absorb the liability aspects falling out from any of the negative effects, which there are many, 
from those well, militant uh, smart meters. His thing is based on the fact that this is all contract. And being a, that it's all contract, you've got to have equal power in the contract. And so what you do is, for instance, you get a thing from the bank. And you, you know, a, a, a application for a credit card or something. And you go back in, you put on the bottom, well, I say my interest rate is 0.001%. You send it back to them. If they issue a credit card, you can hold their feet to the fire on it. Uh, curiously, I had a situation on traffic matter very similar to what uh, we're talking about here. And uh, Brian. Uh, in particular, it is an offer to contract when they give you a uh, offer to contract citation uh, trying to charge you with one of their private policy violations. And recently I returned one before 72 hours and wrote across the instrument, refused for cause, refused to contract with a domestic terrorist and uh, turned it into the prosecution. They wouldn't take it at the regular ticket window, uh, claiming they had to wait a couple of months before they would be in the system. So I took it right to the prosecutor's office, gave it to them, and it went away. And it was actually four different, two different tickets with four different uh, so-called violations when that domestic terrorist uh, stalked me and pulled me over uh, back a few months ago. And then they did it again not long ago. But uh, uh, it's just absolutely insane out here. It is. Uh, hey, let's see. Alan, you, have we got your packet straight? Did you want to say anything? B's joined us. Didn't know if that was Brent That's, or not. I think I'm back on here. Yeah, right? man, you your packets it. are good now, brother. Congratulations. <laughs> okay. I was going to let you know that uh, I saw a news flash there that uh, China was having their third round of floods and said 45 million people impacted, and it was going to put a severe strain now on that uh, – Three Gorges Dam or whatever they the, call it. Some of the, I heard, I was watching something on it before the show, and I kind of tried to visualize the water volumes they were talking about. Yeah. 40,000 40, cubic feet per second are pouring into they, the Three Gorges Lake from some of those different rivers, some as much as 60 cubic feet yeah. per second. 60,000 yeah, cubic feet. 60,000 cubic feet. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what that article was saying that I was looking at. 60,000 cubic feet a second. Yeah, I have. I can't even imagine what that is. I Buddy, I mean, that's serious flow. Okay. Even uh, to the point that now evidently something came out, somebody, it escaped somehow, but the commentary was that it could probably only have been produced by the Communist Party was a simulation of the dam breaking. And what's going to happen? And there will be a wall of water. What, what did they say? A uh, hundred meters tall. Oh wow! That would uh, that would be kind of hard to imagine. And I'm, I'm presuming they have not begun to evacuate any people below the dam. Well, they they're starting to give some of the farmers two hours notice before they release extra water, evidently. But they can't give them too much relief or it makes them look bad. I mean, they're in a really, really precipitous, situ per precipitous situation over there. And uh, I mentioned, and I sent it out on our group this morning because I caught it in a video again and snipped it. Um, and that is a chart. Every overthrow of, of the a Chinese dynasty has happened in a grand solar minimum. 
and buddy, we're right on the front door, one right now. And to boot for those people, they got locusts, they've got droughts in part of the country, they got floods in the other part. Virtually all of the farmland in the country's been flooded or about to be. You know, I saw a rice farmer this morning and he's sitting there just venting, man. And it was translated and he's going, we have to pay all these fees. I have to pay a seed fee, a land fee, a herbicide fee, a labor fee, a this fee, a that fee. And he reaches down to his shoulder and water and pulls up a rice plant. And he said, and this is what I get. Wow. Okay. Buddy, they got big hey, problems. Uh, I guarantee you that the Chinese, those guys, the reason, do you know that not one Chinese high-ranking official has been to any of those flood zones in a month and a half? Not one. Staying far away. A, a failing dam, whether it is uh, shoddy constructed or fails from overload by the 60,000 cubic feet of water, will be a virtual tsunami. Yep. Yeah. And downstream are... Three cities of one of them's Wuhan. What's, what's Wuhan? Twenty million. Shanghai, the largest city in the world, twenty-four millions down at the end, and there's two or three other between seven and fifteen million in between, and they're all. It showed a picture this morning of some town in the, what I was watching, and it was a guy on the first floor of his apartment building, and he'd been trapped because the water had the door shut. And his arm was at the top of the window and trying to get out and do something to get out. Finally, they got the door dislodged and got the guy out. But the water was all the way at the top of his apartment. He couldn't get out. Wow. Showed cars just floating down. I don't know if I could wait. If there's a river you can visualize with really good flow. And here's a pretty wide river, all this big flow, and here comes cars just floating down it. They're just floating down it. An interesting side effect is it would be highly advantageous for the leaders of China and perhaps some of America's people and uh, Fauci and Gates and some others to want to allow that dam or facilitate that dam failing so that it could wipe out all the evidence of the Wuhan lab in one flail swoop and give them exoneration by and blame it on an act of God. Well, you know, I was thinking, and it's come to my mind a couple of times, I hadn't heard anybody mention anything about weather modification in all this. I have. Okay. Now, it doesn't suit the globalists to flood their vehicle that they're using to take over the world that's fallen and crumbling right in front of them and all of us but roger if it's a deep space special operation then controlling the weather uh air force document uh, 2025 weather modification would account for these over 30 days straight of torrential rains that have caused this so-called uh, anomalous event to happen conveniently. Oh, yeah, and they got more coming for the next 10, 15, 20 days. It's already on the forecast. Well, there's one other thing that they accomplished with that, and that is to cover up everything that happened in Absolutely. Wuhan. There would be no Absolutely. trace of evidence left. Absolutely. And that was that was theorized by some of these uh, people that do China reporting. I saw them talk about it. 
because it was just right when the World Health Organization was about to go in there. But they won't, they won't let them go to the Wuhan lab. They're not scheduled to go to the lab. They're just going to go to Wuhan. I guess they're going to get in their kayaks and paddle around, take a few samples. Yeah. <laughs> Don't drink the water. Boy, I wouldn't drink any of that water, pal. Shoot. I mean, listen, it is a really, really interesting culture. I, I started out talking about that movie about Chin and the takeover of the country. That was an unbelievable story to me. I mean, it was just absolutely mind-boggling. This guy, he used all the, he had, he used all the slaves. What I was going to say, uh, Chris, earlier, you were asking how did he do that? The very first feudal lord that he took over he captured 10,000 of their soldiers and he cut every one of them's head off that would put a little fear into your enemy or adversary wouldn't it yeah yeah mm. brutal brutal stuff man Woo. so that's who we're uh, that's the reason their culture I mean they still follow the same laws they use the same language they still follow basically the same laws that the guy took that burned all the other books in the, except for one set of books and put them in a place, and all of the Chinese laws come from those books. You know, they're doing the same thing here in America. They're destroying the statues, burning of libraries and federal sure. buildings. Exactly. They do the same stuff here in Nevada. They've been spoilating evidence, intentionally destroying evidence of uh, child protective services cases for years. Uh, they've been hiding evidence and covering up and stonewalling production. This is something that these people who control the legal system are expert at, is covering up the evidence of their own crimes and their corruption. Yeah, well, that's what they always do. It always catches them. It's going to catch them again. Uh, what we're doing, you know, you can't. Fight these people. You don't, you're, we're dictated not to fight them. You ain't going to win if you go in there and try and do that. We're dictated to come out of her. You're supposed to remove. Come out means to remove, doesn't it, pretty much? Yep. You're supposed to remove yourself from that craziness, that insanity, that hysteria that we see going on all around us. To the point where Back Lives Matter has now infiltrated Australia. Except they're not using blacks, they're using Aborigines and just substituting them. <laughs> it's nuts. It, it is nuts insanity, man. I mean, really. Um, I've, I've vented pretty well today. Anybody else want to vent? Well, Roger, uh, let's go back over to what y'all were talking about there before on the on the affidavit. You yes, fill sir. it out and, and and get it turned in. You said to also file it in the county. Well, you can. In? You don't have to. You can. And the reason that is because that's what John and Glenn told us to do, and that's what we did. I I was absolute as neophyte as some of you people that are just stumbling into this and getting a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. I was in the same spot, 
okay? And they said, do this affidavit, file it in the local property records because we knew it's the feudal system and that means your property. So you're going to the property records office where they have real property and you're putting that in the public records. And then it qualifies as public notice and you've weaponized due process. Because there's nothing in there that's not true. And you've put it up there. Notice what is due process. That's why this basic stuff's so important. What is due process? Notice and the right to be heard. You're weaponizing that and taking the truth to overcome the fraud and the lies and putting it into public notice. Okay? Anybody wants to object, it's right there in the public notice. I've had mine in Bay County, Florida since 1992. December 31st of 1992 was the day it was filed. Okay? Hmm. Nobody's ever objected. Hell, nobody's ever even probably looked at it. But it qualifies the front end of due process. Now you've weaponized your side. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for us, there was a guy that was running around our, well, the whole country, but mainly our part down there, Alan, named Tim Turner. Wasn't that his name? Well, that was the name he was using. I'm not sure it wasn't his twin brother's name. Okay. But well, he was, about, <laughs> he was about of the ilk of Soapy Smith, okay? And what he was going around and getting little clandestine groups and having them give him a bunch of money to tell him how to get out of the system. He didn't know what the hell he was doing, and it was a fraud. And he was telling people to go file a bunch of UCC1 forms and stuff in the property records office. And so that's why you're getting the backlash in some places of people People. We're not filing stuff like that anymore. Are you one of them sovereign citizens? <laughs> okay. I mean, and they'll call, and I've had people try to do it over in Aiken, South Carolina, and they literally call the FBI SWAT team sovereign citizen team on them. Okay. So where there's obstacles there that didn't used to be there because of this damn charlatan, Tim Turner. Oh. Uh. Now, there's other ways you can perform public notice, and we've talked about it. There's some ways. You might want to research it. Kay's researching it up there in Connecticut right now. And um, uh, you can go, like, for instance, to the in some states you can go to the library or some public building, and you tack it up on a bulletin board, public notice, boom, okay? Go back, document it, et cetera. But you don't have to do that because you're giving notice to the big guy, but you're doing it locally, and it can buttress you. Like you live out northwest of Atlanta. Yeah. Around Dallas, right? Right. Okay, so it's a fairly small little area out there, not a super big town. But you got you know your neighbors and stuff, right? Everybody kind of knows everybody. Yeah. So yeah. when you get that on file, and then you go over, you know the sheriff. Yes. Go over and say, Mr. Sheriff, hopefully you'll go buy a copy of my book and give it to him, okay? And you go, I'm going to hand you this paper. It's on file over at the property records office. Nobody's objected, and I want to put you on notice. And what you're putting him on notice is that it's filed with the Secretary of State, and it's also filed locally. All right. And now I'm putting you individually in your department on notice that if any of your officers stop me and harass me for doing whatever, they're dealing with somebody that's outside their jurisdiction, their delegated responsibilities. And if they do it and do it aggrievously enough, I'm going to take them to court. They have lost their liability of immunity, and I'm going to take everything they own. 
Uh, that tends to make more sense. So well, I'll tell you what. If we get somebody <laughs> in a situation with the balls that could go and get that done, it would sure send a shot across their bow, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I, yeah, I do know the sheriff enough. I could uh, probably get up there and talk to him, and I wouldn't hesitate to hand him something like that. And uh, the other thing you want to do is go and give it to the sheriff. If you got a chief of police, may want to do the same thing with him. You can notice them through the mail now. Do it certified yeah. mail return receipt requested and they're considered served. Okay. Yeah. But you can, um, and let's see if I, I lost the thought I was going to, you, you can really utilize this in your favor. Now what's happening. You've leveled the playing field. We're not on a skewed playing field anymore where they've got the upper hand cause they know what's going on. Now the playing field is level and that puts the same weapons at everybody's disposal, but now they got to play by common law rules. They can't play by their little Jerry rigged merchant law rules. Yeah. Hmm. That's the other thing I keep wanting to. I'd like to discuss sometime, and that's uh, the common law, the, the common law court. Uh, I keep hearing a lot of talk about it, but then let me tell everybody you. always says the gorillas, the the judge is a five hundred pound gorilla, and if a gorilla wants a banana, you give it to him. But in the common law, that's not so. Well, if let me give you an analogy. Let's take ourselves back in time to the feud where you had all the serfs and what these common law grand juries that have been popping up since the Murrah building bombing, the only thing that they're doing is a bunch of serfs are getting together and saying, we're going to go overthrow the Lord. Now, that may have happened sometimes in the feudal system. It was a thousand years of history. I don't know. But I would think that the chances of that, the, the surf uprising, was pretty slim. And in our country, it's null and void because you're a yeah. piece of property saying you're going to go to the Lord of the manor and accuse him of all this stuff and ain't never going to get wheels. Now, as I've said, we get a bunch of us together in one area that have filed these this document, it should be a totally different matter, especially if we could be in a place where we had the ear of the sheriff and could get some enforcement, understanding, and genuine lawful protection. Yeah. Hmm. And the reason I say that, Alan, is came from uh, Dr. Livingston, Robert Livingston, that founded was co-founder of the League of the South, that now runs and is associated with founder of the Abbeville Institute, A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, I believe. It's not, there's not a Y in it. It's the Abbeville Institute. It's out of Charleston. And it was him in a talk out at Kennesaw one years ago in the League of the South meeting when he made a comment. It's over on my website. Have you listened to that Dr. Livingston talk about the 14th Amendment? No, I you haven't listened to that one. You ought to listen to that. It's over on SovereignToSurf.com. It's over on the right side. You can hear it. It's about an hour-long okay. talk he gave. And I got somebody to get a hold of him because of this comment. And he said, oh, man, we know so much more than that now. I thought, oh, yeah. He said, after the Civil War, states can no longer secede. But evidently, counties can. 
Is that provocative? No, why, yeah. Why would, uh, why would a county be able to, but not the state itself? Because after the Civil War, they took a big county of Virginia and formed the state of West Virginia. Ah, uh, that's right. They did do that. Okay. There's the precedent. I'm kind of curious. Does anybody on this call know what year that Texas became a state? I don't recall myself, but I do recall with some specificity they had some special retainage of states' rights that they kept that nobody else did. They do, and every year I'm told in Texas that it's symbolic now, but it comes up for a vote every year as to whether they want to stay in the union or not. It's an annual. Well, I'd think there'd be some real serious reconsiderations about this point. Well, <laughs> of course, they got a bunch of renegades. You see Joe Rogan's leaving L.A. He's moving to Texas. And that's what, listen, this whole thing's going to cause a whole lot of population readjustment. It's going to be real interesting. Yes, it will. Well, okay, Roger, let me ask this then. It's pretty much as simple as just pretty much use the form you have on your Sovereign to Surf website as to write a, a letter, an affidavit to send in to them. I mean, I that's pretty that much I've all got that a, needs I, to be on it. I don't know that I've got a form on there, Alan, and what I try and encourage people to do is to get command of the information because you don't have to put too much on there. Uh, the, the, the one thing I've noticed is in our community, and I understand it, uh, people like Chris and myself and Brian Howard and others that have put so much time into studying this stuff before we came on the answer, Some, many of us afterwards too, but now we've got all of this stuff in our head, and man, we want to show them what we know. And, boy, you get non-protunct and semi-jurists and, you know, every Latin phrase that you can pull out of a quick study of the laws thrown in to the document. You don't need to do that. It's yeah, very no. simple. There's only two choices. You're either free or you're bond. What you want right. to do is tell them you're not bond. Now, there's several ways you can do that very easily. You could put... I was born a white parents, so-and-so, time out of mind, and have not related in any way, shape, or form to black Negroes given federal citizenship after the Civil War. They can't rebut that. First of all, you're framing yep. it in a negative. You're not telling them what you are, which is what many of our people want to do with all that. I'm right. a this, I'm a that. Well, when you tell them you're something and make a statement like that, you leave uh, yourself open for somebody to contest it, don't you? No matter what the right. statement is. Yeah. Why don't you phrase it in the opposite? I'm not that. We know there's only two. I'm not that one. Because it's almost yep. virtually impossible to disprove a negative. Right. Okay. And then I'd put in underneath it and I'd quote the 14th amendment and the first part. And then I'd say, it does not say are subject to the jurisdiction thereof. And you could sign it, get it notarized and send it in right there. Now, if you yeah. want to put some other stuff in there, I'd recommend if you want to use my affidavit, the one that John and Glenn wrote for us. Look, I was I was as green as a twig when that thing was put in front of me. Okay, 
And uh, I didn't even know what an affidavit was. I'd heard the word. I didn't know what it was, all right? But you go and just use those. The last page has got some of the specific as it pertains to IRS stuff because this was an IRS-oriented or project from the beginning. And it's got the stuff about one, I'm not a resident as pertained in the residency of 1.1-1A, you know, that kind of stuff. You could pull, yeah. pull a few of those and put them in there if you, if you want to do that. Uh, which is good because if you want to fight the IRS on this, now that you've got it on file with the Secretary of State and the, and the political status has changed, now you can go shove it up their barracks bag. We've learned a, bit, a little bit of how to do that. You do a cover letter, say this has been on file with the Secretary of State, et cetera, et cetera. And up at the top, you put in big, bold letters, legal slash lawful notice. And then you write your letter under that so they don't come back with this frivolous filing trick game they're playing. Yeah. Okay. So there's things that we can do now that the playing field's leveled to give us a clear-cut, distinct advantage. I mean, here's the question. Why the hell do you think they wanted to get rid of the common law so bad? Because they can't win. Can't win. But I say the common law still there. It's just it's, yeah. nobody really knows how to use it. Now. Well, listen, you know, I had a, a, a listener call in at the other over there at uh, uh, the micro effect one day, Alan. It was very interesting. I was just having a program like we're having now. And this guy calls in. We're talking about the common law. Okay. And he said, hey, Roger, I want you to know that I'm a process server in Delaware. And I serve those common law writs every day. Mm. every day was his words he also said i told my wife the only thing i wanted for christmas is your book <laughs> let me tell you what else he said he said that video the science of law he stumbled on that. that's how he found us okay he said yep. i have listened to that thing 10 times it's two hours long okay over hmm he said, every time I listen to it, I, I learn something different. That's why I encourage you guys go back and spend the time on these basics. It'll pay off. It'll pay off in your future. It'll pay off in the, your present because you learn how to defend yourself on solid grounds and the way the world really works. And you can't familiarize yourself with that enough. Just ask Chris. Okay. Well, one more thing here. So you, you now, I guess, just consider yourself as a u.s national is that if anybody asks me that's what i tell them and why do i use that because everybody oh no i'm a state national oh no i'm an american national everybody wants to change it we know they've gone to great lengths to set up this system and isolate that definition in that word why don't you want to use their words it's the key to the matrix yeah why do you want I mean, to go you, off you, and jerry rig it? You don't. You, you're not. You're not saying you're a non-citizen or nothing. You just simply say a U.S. national. Well, That's see, there's the equivocation. Yourself. That's how they've hidden this. There's a non-citizen national. He's the American Samoan guy. The U.S. national yeah. is the one they've hidden behind it. The same exact way technique. They hid the birth certificate's real purpose uh, behind the the obvious facts of it on its face. 
This, okay. You see, well, there, this there is, is what I this is what I'm trying to get across to you. They use the same technique over and over and over again. It's simple. It's equivocation. Yeah. They're screwing with your mind. Yeah. I might offer for your students consideration that after giving this a substantial amount of contemplation, the best descriptor I can come with that's the most accurate is I'm an Oklahoma State American non-citizen U.S. national. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I want. Okay. Well, well, you know, this is what I'll say. If you want to complicate it and, and screw it up, you go do it on your own. I do not recommend that. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm just saying that U.S. national is one that's cited in their language of the uh, American Nationality Acts and so on and so forth. And that most people don't comprehend that citizen is a dangerous word. That's why non-citizen is important. But no, but you're not a non—you're not a non-citizen national the way they're using it because you're not American Samoan. Correct. But the word terms on the DSM-11 down the warning block is U.S. citizens or non-citizen U.S. nationals. And exactly. And knowing the enemy, why did they do that? intentionally because somebody that takes the time to read that oath is going to go well i it says i swear under penalty i'm a united states citizen or parentheses a non-citizen national so somebody that's ignorant that's reading it is going to go well i know i'm a citizen and i don't know what this non-citizen thing is over here but i know i must not be it so i better not look into it any further (laughs) It's important to recall that Title 18 USC 911 says anybody that claims to be a U.S. citizen and can't prove it is committing a felony crime. And how can you prove you're a dead corporate fictitious entity created by Congress? Well, all I know is the 14th Amendment does not say are subject to the jurisdiction thereof all persons. It says and. And subject. And Al Al Addis won a. $500,000 $500,000 court deal that they'd worked on for five years with that. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. I'll see y'all tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe we'll have our new folks call in tomorrow. We can go over this again because you can't hear it enough, folks. You cannot hear it enough. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. A good, lively discussion today. Thank you for letting me vent. Bye-bye. Jibram next.